This past week, I attended a retreat in um, Sewanee, Tennessee, which is just north of, 20 minutes north of Chattanooga, up the mountain. And um, it's the second in a series of retreats that I've attended. There's five total spread out over a year, and something Ministering Council and I, uh, they graciously agreed to help support me in. Um, It's very Quaker-oriented, and they use a lot of Quaker practice. It's not just for Quakers. Everyone is there as from another tradition, I'm the only Quaker there. So when I get identified as the only Quaker, they always have these questions for me. And so this one woman comes up to me, and she's a, uh, I think she's an Episcopalian uh, uh, minister. She comes to me, and she says, so you're Quaker, right? Well, she says, so do you have silence in your worship? Well, yes, we do. Well, how does that work? Well, we have the open worship um, typically before the message. Well, then, do you preach? Well, I do preach. Well, how does that work? Well, sometimes I will stand up and and, and speak, uh, depending upon how long the silence is. Other times there's a lot of sharing, and I'll just try to get a vibe, a sense of how this is going. Sometimes I don't speak. Sometimes I speak five or ten minutes, and it all how the Spirit leads. And then she looks at me. She says, huh, well, then I guess you just don't have to do a whole lot of preparation at all, do you? <laughs> and I thought, how did this conversation go from you're a Quaker to so what do you do? And I said, yeah, you're right. You are exactly right. And then I got back in the fetal position again. <laughs> Which leads me then to talk about, um, I've been hearing a word circulating in my, in my heart and my soul related to my message. It's changed somewhat, which you have no idea because you don't see my notes, uh, that has to do with this passage. Um, but it's a word that also has led me to think about another word, and this may surprise you, Zombies. And I'll explain. Um, I've never watched Walking Dead. I don't know if there are any Walking Dead fans out here. We won't identify you. Uh, But people are just fascinated, fascinated with that show. It is a show about humans and zombies. And zombies are people who are half alive, half dead. I'm not sure which, but they're kind of creepy. On the way back from Tennessee, I heard on the radio an interview where they are now taking the book Pride and Prejudice, written by Jane Austen, a classic, and they are making a zombie remake out of Pride and Prejudice. Yes, I, I could read the remake and really not know the difference because I haven't read the first one. What is this fascination? Now, they didn't go into this, and maybe I'm overthinking this, and I will tend to do that, but here's what I may be overthinking. Maybe the fascination is part of it is we're all really trying to fight off what it means to be half alive. Maybe we're all really just trying to fight off what it means to be the walking dead. How many of us really are just living life half alive? How many of us, if we just owned up to it, could say, yeah, you know what, I pretty much am the walking dead? And maybe what I and we and maybe culture hasn't realized is spirituality, the spiritual journey is not about shoulds and oughts and do's and don'ts and keeping rules and checking off lists. Maybe the spiritual life is really more just about feeling and being alive. Brian McLaren in his book, We Make the Road by Walking, describes the spiritual life this way. What we all want is pretty simple, really. We want to be alive, to feel alive, not just to exist but to thrive. 
to live out loud, to walk tall, to breathe free. We want to be less lonely, less exhausted, less conflicted or afraid. We want to be more awake, more grateful, more energized and purposeful. We capture this kind of mindful, overbrimming life in terms like well-being, shalom, blessedness, wholeness, harmony, life to the full, and aliveness. And this quest for aliveness is the best thing about religion. It's what we are hoping for when we pray. It's why we gather, celebrate, eat, abstain, attend, practice, sing, and contemplate. And when people say, I am spiritual, what they mean, I think, is simply this, I am seeking aliveness. I think he's right. I don't know about the whole walking dead, pride and prejudice thing. I may be overthinking that. But I think in some ways there may be some truth. We get fascinated because we are just trying to fight off every day what it means to be half alive, what it means to be the walking dead. This passage that Dina read, there's a lot here, understandably. If you're from a tradition that follows what's called the lectionary, you know that this passage is right for today because it's from uh, the Transfiguration. And the Transfiguration passage uh, is right before the season of Lent, which comes up um, this starting this Wednesday. And we as Quakers, we don't follow that calendar very much, and that's okay. We're not necessarily tied into human constructs and human calendars, but at the same time, it is nice to have a certain rhythm to life, a certain rhythm to our spiritual journey where we're just not making it up as we go along, that maybe there's something that guides us and directs us. And maybe some way this passage can speak to that. When I wrestled with this passage, one thing I thought of when I read it, I thought there is a lot here to explain. And part of what I realized is maybe that's part of the problem. Maybe, maybe we try to explain the spiritual life way too much. Maybe there's a part of living the spiritual journey which doesn't beg explanation all the time. Maybe there's a part of the spiritual journey which simply invites awe and wonder and mystery and simply being present to it. There's a lot of things that I see in the spiritual journey, a lot of good things, but I can't explain them all, and maybe I'm not intended to explain them all. I can't explain what happens when a people or two people who have been divided and conflicted for years all of a sudden reconcile. I can't explain that, but it happens. I can't explain what it means when someone's life is just racked with, with addiction, racked with something that they just cannot get away from, then all of a sudden they come to this moment where they say, I cannot live this way anymore, and they start down a different road and a different path, and they're doing so much better. I can't explain it. I can't explain the beauty and awe that happens when you see your children born and you just are overcome with, with, with joy. I can't explain any of that. And maybe sometimes the spiritual life isn't meant to be explained. It's just meant to be experienced and felt and help us come alive again. What I did pick up in this passage, though, which I want to focus on the last few moments, is just simply these words, this phrase. Then a voice from the cloud. Now, for all of you techies out there, this is not the iCloud, all right? This is not Dropbox. Then a voice from the cloud, this cloud that overshadowed James and, and John and Peter and Jesus, this voice, presumably the voice of God, said, This is my son, my chosen one. And with almost emphasis, listen to him. Listen. Listen. 
Part of what I have come to know is where I have experienced aliveness in my life, aliveness in my spiritual journey, is when I listen. And I listen to what we as friends understand to be this inward teacher, this inward guide, the risen Christ, if you will, the one who is within. I will say this to you very honestly and very confidently, is you have within you probably the most knowledgeable teacher that exists, and that is the living Christ within, who knows you better than anybody else, who knows your condition better than I do. I can only hit sometimes the tip of the iceberg. It's that 90% below the surface the inward teacher knows and speaks to. And so when God says, out of this cloud, listen to him, we're invited to listen. And I think in that listening, we come alive. Now, what does that mean practically? Well, this is what I just want to offer real quickly. First, listen to the bigger story. Listen to God's bigger story. When I say this, I'm referring to the kingdom of God, the narrative of God's actions, what we read about in scriptures. When we do not have a solid narrative to guide our lives, we go in search of a narrative, something to structure our life, some framework to live by. And not all the narratives that are out there are good narratives. Not all of them are true. Not all, most of them are false. The narrative that feeds us and makes us come alive is this narrative of God's story, God's bigger story, the one in which God interfaces with our soul. God designed us. God created us. God knows what's best for us. And that story is found in the scriptures. It's found in relationship with God. It's found as we interact with God's spirit. So listen to God's big story, God's design for creation in our life. Listen to your soul. Listen to your heart. The Quaker Parker Palmer wrote this wonderful book in which he takes the phrase, let your life speak, and he turns it around. And he says, let your life speak to you as to who you are becoming. Here's what he says. Before you tell your life what you intend to do with it, listen for what it intends to do with you. Before you tell your life what truth and value you have decided to live up to, let your life tell you what truths you embody, what values you you represent. I must listen to my life and try to understand what it is truly about quite apart from what I would like it to be about. If I don't, my life will never represent anything real in the world, no matter how earnest my intentions. Listen to your life, your most noblest of intentions, your heart, your soul. What is it speaking to you about who you are and who God has designed you to become? Listen to the gaps. And when I say the gaps, the gaps, listen to those gaps between where you are right now And again, who you know God is inviting you to become. That's one of the places that I don't like to listen to in my life, but I listen to them as best as I can, the gaps in my life, where I am, who I am, and who I know God has invited me to become. Lent is a a prime season to listen to those gaps in our life. Where are they? Where is the gap in our character? Where is the gap in our integrity? Where is the gap in our ability to love others? Where is the gap in our desire to be true to ourselves, where is that gap that exists in our life in terms of becoming and walking in the way of Jesus? I think it's different for all of us, but sometimes we need to listen to what that gap says. And then listen to the groans, the groans of creation and the groans in our world. The Apostle Paul wrote to the Romans this, We know that the whole creation is groaning together and suffering labor pains, up until now. In fact, he says new life is seeking to be birthed, but it groans with pain. It groans with suffering. It groans from violence. It groans from injustice. It groans from poverty. It groans from all the systemic 
systemic pain that we see in society. So when we listen to the groans of the world, in many ways we listen to those places God calls us to be and to act and to do. And I do know this about myself. If there's one thing I do turn off, it's the groans of the world. It's the groans of creation. I want to speak very um, personally here about this. This is mine, not yours, so you do with it what you want, but this is how I responded to this yesterday. Yesterday, all of a sudden, just seeing things on the news and checking some things as I checked my email, something popped up in front of me on the Internet, something on social media, and I read it from one of the people that I read and respect. And it was regarding the lead in the water issue in Flint, Michigan. And what got me thinking was a statement by uh, an author and pastor, Brian Zahn, and here's what he wrote. The estimated cost to replace the poisonous lead water pipes in Flint, Michigan, is $760 million. It's almost exactly the cost of just one B-2 spirit bomber. Think about that. The prophet Isaiah would say this, it's time to beat a B-2 bomber into water pipes. The cost of replacing pipes... $767 million, almost the cost of just one bomber. And so I began to think through, what can I do? What can I do? So I did some more research and found a link to United Way of Genesee County in Flint, Michigan, in which 100% of financial donations to a special fund set up goes toward water filters and bottled water for the folks at Flint. Now, where... I got started in this was even last week. Linda and I were having this conversation, and I just simply said I could not imagine being a parent and knowing that in the last two years my child has drank that water. And I would say to myself, I'm fine. I really am fine, but I can't imagine that my child has drank that water for two years and what will be their future. And I've just been thinking about that, that groan inside of me coming from that place. Now, here's my point. I haven't sat down with Linda and talked about how much, but I suspect at some point we'll give something. That's our leading, not yours. I'm not telling you to do that. You do whatever groans you hear. But sometimes when we listen to the groans of creation, we will be invited to act and respond in some way. Listen to him, the voice from the cloud says. Listen to the bigger story, God's story. In all of creation, what is God's design for the world? Listen to your life. Listen to your soul. Listen to the gaps that you hear in your life. How can that gap be closed? And listen to the groans of creation and the groans in our world. And I will say this too. There's other groans to listen to. Just real quickly, listen to the groans within. Your own woundedness. Your own pain. Even your own suffering and your own hurt. Sometimes we have to listen to that and pay attention to that. And know that sometimes that needs healing, and that needs attention, and that needs to be befriended by God and God's love. One more story. I'm closing. In the translation of the message uh, uh, by Eugene Peterson, part of the scripture text that Dina read reads this, quote, Master, this is a great moment, Peter says. Let us build three memorials. One for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. And he blurted this out without thinking. And I got to thinking, you know what? Maybe God didn't have in mind that once God acts and speaks and we listen, that the plan is to build a memorial. Churches are really good at building memorials. But we were created to be a movement. 
a movement of the Spirit of God. Linda and I attended a church in, in Indiana right when I became assistant superintendent, which was five years after my first church. We were there for five years. Lovely people, small friends meeting, wonderful people. It was tough. They were struggling. We tried to help as best as we could. But after five years, we came down here to North Carolina in 1995. So we went back to visit family, and after a while, I got curious. I'd like to go visit Deep, uh, Dayspring Friends. I'd like to go visit those folks and say hi to them, see how they're doing, see how they're getting along. And so I asked around, and I said, is, is what time does Dayspring Friends meet? And one of my friends said, well, they don't meet anymore. I said, really? Yeah, they closed. Huh, well, what happened? He says, well, you'll never guess. What? It became a funeral home. Really? Dayspring Friends building is now a funeral home. A movement became a memorial. Nothing wrong with taking care of those that deceased. Nothing wrong with taking care of those that we love. But the metaphor has stuck with me ever since then. We will either become a memorial to a wonderful past, or we will become a movement that listens to the living voice of the living God and responds accordingly.